for a year. And I guarantee you, I'm going to cover some things that more than likely you've never been taught either. Because these are not things that I've ever heard uh, in most of the teaching on the Holy Spirit. But what um, struck me is that we're walking with a person, the person of the Holy Spirit. Never is he referred to as an it or a thing or a force, some impersonal fog out there that sort of just moves through a place impersonally without a mind of his own or no, no, he's a person. And we learn just like we do with a spouse or a friend. We learn that there's things you can say and not say, do and not do, uh, attitudes that you can harbor and you should not harbor, or you know you have offended this person you're in relationship with. That's the Holy Spirit. It's real, everybody. And I, I just, I believe that this class, I don't know what it is that I'm expecting to happen, but I have something of faith in my spirit that something is really taking place and going to take place in this class with the Holy Spirit. And I don't know what that means. It's an expectancy that I have. I feel something here. I, I feel Him here. I should say, not something, I feel someone here. And we're going to learn about Him. So I want you to stand with me, would you? And, and we're just going to read a couple of things real quick, and then you can be seated. But I want us to invoke the presence of the Holy Spirit. How many of you can say, Pastor, I am thirsty. I'm hungry. I want more of Him. I mean, really. I'm tired of dry times. I want the Holy Ghost to move on me. I want Him. Well, I think something is going to happen. He's going to hear us. Let's, let's just pray. Father, we just thank You that You're here by the presence of the Holy Spirit, and we walk with Him, and He talks with us. And according to the words of Jesus, Lord, He brings to our mind what You have said, and He gives us peace, and He comforts us in all our tribulations. Father, we just invoke His presence. We ask that You would abide among us in this class, that this gathering of people would experience like they did on the day of Pentecost. And Lord, I'm just talking about a manifestation of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's our prayer, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me just put this up here, and let's just, let me read this to you, and then we'll read Genesis 2.19 together. But I, I just pulled something that Charles Spurgeon, the great London preacher from the 1800s, wrote about the Holy Spirit. He said, you may read the Bible continuously and yet never learn anything by it unless it is illuminated by the Spirit. Then the words shine forth like stars. Then the book seems made of gold leaf. Every single letter glitters like a diamond. Oh, it is a blessed thing to read an illuminated Bible lit up by the radiance of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, with that in mind, let's read out loud together Genesis 2.19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. 
And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Amen. Well, praise God. You can be seated. And uh, I, I pulled that verse because I wanted you to, to see that names matter to God. You know, I was thinking, uh, think about this for a minute. Adam named everything before Eve was on the scene. And then what? We had a female on the front row that just said something smart. <laughs> he named everything that, was, um, that God had created before Eve came along. Now, if you want to stop and just get scientific for a minute, think about this. That there are millions of species that God made. I mean, the birds, the mammals, the amphibious creatures, the fishes, everything amphibious. I mean, God made uh, the insect. I mean, think about it. There's millions of species. I read recently that somebody surmised, and it's pretty well agreed upon by scholars, that for him to name all those things took about a century. Took about a century. He had to sleep. Think about a million different insects coming by. Think of the brilliance of the man Adam. Think of the brilliance of the untainted, unsoiled mind. Think of the brilliance of this man. Think of the IQ, if, if there was an IQ. He had never fallen. His mind had never been uh, uh, tainted or stained by any kind of sin. So brilliant that he could take a million species of insect and think of a name for every one of them, not to mention remembering the names. They say, Pastor Jeff, that sounds like Brothers Grimm fairy tales. No, that's man before the fall. He was never meant to die. He was never meant, he would never have died. There would have never been a coffin, never a graveyard, never loved ones standing over a lifeless body, losing, having lost someone that they loved. It was never a part of God's plan. The unsoiled mind was brilliant. Then you take all of God's creation, and yeah, it took about a century. And so for a century, he knew something was missing. And I, this is not a marriage class. But for about a century, he knew something was missing. And Eve came along after this incredible task had been given to him. But now, I bring all that out to, to show you that names matter to God. I mean, you cannot study the Bible without realizing right off the bat that names matter to God. If he didn't like your name, or if your name represented something that no longer represented you, he changed your name. You know, Jacob went to Israel. Saul went to Paul. It, it, the, the unregenerate person's name was often changed to something that, that reflected their regenerated life. Names matter to God. Now, God told Adam to name everything he had created because it is by something's name that we know and understand it. In the Bible, when your parents named you something, they usually did it so that you would know the meaning and it would put a blessing on your life. That's why it was a negative when Jabez's mother named him Jabez, one who calls or causes sorrow or sorrow causer. And he had to shake that stigma the rest of his life because he, he, she had such pain giving birth to him. 
But names matter. That's how we get to know people. Now, notice with me tonight that the three persons in the Godhead have graciously revealed themselves through a variety of names and titles. When God names himself something, he is telling us something really significant about himself. He's naming, so, you know, Jesus, Savior, you know, God's names, and I'm going to look at a few of them in just a moment. When he revealed himself, he always did it by a name. Really, really important here. Whatever name of God expresses him to be, that is what he is. For he will not deceive us by giving himself a wrong or a false name. He's not going to call himself Jehovah Jireh if he's not a provider. We learn who God is by the names he's given to himself. He is, for instance, we most of us know this, Jehovah Shammah means the Lord who is there, the Lord who is present. The Lord who is always with you, never leaves you. Uh, Jehovah Shalom, He is our peace. How many of you today receive peace from the Holy Spirit? Well, I know I did. I walked into that building and it overwhelmed me and God said, have peace. I said, okay. Okay? He's our peace. How many times a day? Because we live in such a turbulent world. God's our peace. Now, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. He's not going to tell us, I am Jehovah Jireh, if it's a lie. If he tells us, this is my name, then that is what he is. Not just who, but what he is within the context of his covenants with us. All right? Now, what the Holy Spirit is in his divine person and character is revealed through the many names and titles given to him by Scripture. Have you ever stopped and realized that not only does Jesus have the names attributed to him and God, but the Holy Spirit does too? The Holy Spirit has names attributed to him, and those names tell us about him. And I want you to get to know him. I want you to get to know the Holy Ghost. I want you to be aware that when you're driving down the highway, He is there in the car with you. When you wake up in the morning, He is there with you. When your head hits the pillow at night, He is there to say good night to you. Paul said in one place, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. That means we're supposed to be in an ongoing, personal, intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's how the Lord communes with us. So powerful to me. Now, uh, some of them he shares with the Father and the Son. Some of the names he shares with the Father and the Son, while others are ascribed uniquely to him. For instance, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of the Father. He's the Spirit of our Heavenly Father. The Holy Spirit, you've got a spirit inside of you, and here is where we as, as human beings are made in His image. God has three parts, and so do you. Body, soul, which is the suke in the, in the Greek. The soul is your mind and your will and your emotions. But spirit is the life force. When the spirit is gone, you're dead. Your body is dead. The Spirit is what lives forever. The Spirit inside of you is what the Holy Spirit inside of you communes with. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, He speaks to your spirit. He impresses your spirit. 
And so God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. We are body, soul, and spirit, but we are one. And if you think there's two or three of you, let me know afterwards. And I'll pray with you down here. There's one of you, but you're made up of body, soul, and spirit. Now, he's called the spirit of the, of the Father, and he's called the spirit of the Son in Galatians 4, 6. Because the operations of the one are, in effect, the operations of the others. And here's what I want you to, to understand. Whatever the Holy Spirit does, he does in total harmony and unity with God the Father and God the Son. One of the greatest examples of this is creation of the world. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and there was not anything made that was not made without Him, or that was made without Him. Nothing was made without Him. But you read Genesis 1, and it says the Spirit was brooding over the face of the deep. So you had God the Father conceiving or conceptualizing the creation. There's going to be birds. There's going to be mammals. There's going to be insects. There's going to be fishes in the sea. There's going to be stars and a moon and a sun. He conceptualized it. He spoke it into existence. The Bible tells us that the Son of God amended it. And the Spirit released it. The Spirit of God never touches you or me but what he is flowing in total unity with the will of the Father and the Son. And so he's the Spirit of the Father and he's the Spirit of the Son. He is called, say it with me everybody, the Spirit. Now, you know, we can talk about a Spirit, but there's only one, the Spirit. Pneuma, the Greek word pneuma. The Spirit. There is only one, the Spirit, which expresses two things about Him. First, His divine nature. Because the Bible tells us that God is Spirit. God is Spirit. God has no body. I heard somebody teach one time, God's six foot two. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. And I said, oh, Lord, help us. Because God's not six foot anything. God's a spirit. Jesus said God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God's a spirit. God has no body. He's in spirit form. He's void of any material or, or visible substance. If God were here right now, our natural eyes wouldn't see him. Because he's a spirit. He's in the fourth dimension. He lives, he does not live in the realm of time and space. He lives in eternity. He's not subject to time and space. Follow me now. Only what can decay or wear away or experience the effects of what we call time is subject to time. Time only matters to something that can age or wear away or erode. But if you're spirit, there is no time. There's no, there's no, you are not subject to time. Because not anything about you, that's why what is spirit is what is eternal. We are finite, but whatever is spirit is infinite. It goes on forever and forever and forever. The spirit inside of you, your spirit, 
the Bible teaches, is eternal. When your body dies, your spirit's going to go on. And if that's not true, let's go home and watch reruns of I Love Lucy because it's over with. The whole reason Jesus came was to save our eternal spirits from damnation. If we weren't eternal beings, no need for a Savior to come. But we are. And there is an eternal world out there, and it's in the fourth dimension. It is not subject to, nor does it rely upon sight, taste, smell, feeling, none of that. It's eternal. And God lives there. And when we die as believers, we will go there immediately. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord immediately. There is no in-between place. There is no purgatory. That's made up. It's not in the Bible. That's made up. We live once and then the judgment. We don't come back as a grasshopper or a cow. You go to India. I've been to India. And I was in the the five-star hotel of India. And there's cows walking around in the lobby. I said, what are these cows doing here? Well, that might be somebody's grandma. (laughs) I'm serious. Because when you buy into the notion of reincarnationism, then you believe that, hey, uh, we've got all kinds of lifetimes to make things right. So if I do wrong now, I'll just make it up in the next lifetime. And this is where karma kicks in and all this other stuff. Let me tell you something. Those people wake up in eternity. And they realize in a microsecond of time, you don't come back as anything because you're spirit and God is spirit. Because right now we got a hotel we're living in, but you, you never do stay forever in a hotel. One day you check out, but right now we're in a hotel. Some of them holiday inns, some of them, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Some of them the mansion. No, I'm, here, here we go. Everybody say, I like my hotel. You take care of that hotel. Now, so say with me, God is a spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of the Father. Now, second, it expresses His method of operation on the hearts of the people of God, which is compared in Scripture to a breath. Or the movement of the wind. The prophet Ezekiel prayed this way Come from the four winds, O breath. He's actually praying, talking to the Holy Ghost. He's prophesying, Come on, Holy Spirit, breathe on these dead bodies and breathe upon these slain that they may live. That's the prophet Ezekiel knowing that the Holy Spirit was the spirit of resurrection. And he's praying that that spirit like a wind would breathe upon the children of Israel who were dried up and dead spiritually. And he's asking God to resurrect them from the spiritual dead. And I've prayed this way for church people. There's a lot of people that ought to be in church, ought to be worshiping God, ought to be gathering with the saints, ought to be praying and reading the word. But something happened somewhere along the way. They got burned out, fried out. I mean, just said, forget it, and walked away, and they need to be resurrected by the spirit of resurrection. And I pray that that's so. 
And if you're listening by radio, I'm going to prophesy to you a minute. I want to speak to you a minute. God wants you fellowshipping with the saints, not the name on a church. It's not about a religious or a denominational place. It is about fellowshipping with the saints. And the Holy Ghost wants to resurrect you from the dead. No matter what you've been through, you need to be quickened by the Holy Ghost. And He'll quicken you. Now, on the day of Pentecost, it says, suddenly there came a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Wow, that's the Holy Spirit. Forget about the tongues issue. Just forget about that. Don't let that affect what happened here on Pentecost. They're standing, there are 120 of them, and suddenly there was a howling, a roaring like a wind, and there, there was no wind blowing. It was the Holy Spirit. And suddenly they saw over their heads fire. And the Holy Spirit was released on the world. And we're about to see it was Jesus who sent him. That's powerful. And boy, they were never the same, were they? Simon Peter, hiding behind closed doors, suddenly stood up and said, what you are seeing and hearing is what's prophesied by the prophet Joel. This is what you're seeing. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams upon my uh, handmaidens. I'm going to pour out my spirit. And that's what happened. And, since, and that's the day the church was born. Now, he is called the Holy Spirit. Not just the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit, which is his most common name in the New Testament. Holy refers to his nature. Jehovah God is distinguished from all false gods in Exodus 15, 11, where it says, Who is like unto you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness? Jesus said, He that shall blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, this is how, this is how important the Holy Spirit is. He that shall blaspheme against the Holy Spirit will never have forgiveness. Because they said when Jesus was casting out devils and doing what he did, they said he's doing this by a demon spirit. And see, Jesus knew I'm ministering by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you've called the Holy Spirit a demon spirit. That is so dangerous. This moved Christ to make a clear distinction between an unclean spirit or demon and the Holy Spirit of the living God. Since he is a holy spirit, all of his works are done in holiness. All of them. This is why you have so much conflict. Because it was okay when the Holy Spirit wasn't living inside of you. Sin was not sin. But see, you didn't just get a spirit you got the Spirit living inside of you, and the Spirit happens to be a Holy Spirit. So now you have so much conflict because your flesh lures you to certain things that the Holy Spirit checks you on. And you find yourself in battles now that before you were saved, it wouldn't have been a battle. Because before you were saved, sin wasn't sin. You weren't worried about it, and Satan wasn't worried about you either. But now since the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you, there is conflict. You say something. You would have gotten away with it easily, lost, but now you're saved. You say something that's not very holy, and the Holy Spirit checks you, and you feel convicted about something that wouldn't have convicted you before. 
or you cop an attitude. You walk around mad all the time. Well, you got away with it before you were saved. But now that you're saved, there's a Holy Spirit living inside of you. And He'll bug you to death. And I mean that literally. He'll bug you till you die to yourself. He will not leave you alone because He's a Holy Spirit. This is why all of a sudden you started longing for things that were holy. Where did that come from? Why in the world do you like this word? It's, it's the Holy Bible. Man, before I was saved, huh? can't imagine reading this all the time. But once I was saved, like Spurgeon said, every letter was like a sparkling diamond. And I began to hunger for the things that are holy. Why? Because in me, there is a Holy Spirit. My, my mother said to me, I was talking to her on the phone, my little mother, I'm going to tell you, my little mother has gotten it. I mean, she's really gotten it. You, what has she gotten? Well, I was preaching in a very large church oh, a lot of years ago. How long, Kathy? 20 years ago? And gave the invitation and my mother came down. I didn't even know she was there. She had, she had made fun of my faith. She had, she had um, said, well, he goes from one, one area of extreme to another. First is drugs, now it's Jesus. Well, when's he ever going to level off? <laughs> that kind of thing. And my little mother came down with tears running down her face, and she gave her heart to the Lord. Now, something has been happening to my little mother lately. She says, Jeff, I get up every morning at the crack of dawn, and I pray. And she said, it's just feeding me to pray. And you know, I'm beginning to understand what people have always meant when they said, you can't beat a mother's prayers. It's like I believe in my mother's prayers more than almost anybody on earth. I mean, my little mother is getting up at the crack of dawn. And she said, you know, before I got saved, I had a filthy mouth. I said, mother, don't tell me this stuff. I don't want to know. I don't. And she said, I did. And she said, now I'm telling you, something has happened to me, Jeff. I just like getting up and being with Jesus in prayer. And she does it every day. I got her praying for our building. I got her praying for me and Kathy. I got her praying for all of you. Let me tell you something. I'm about to call her Saint Leela. I, I don't really, but she's, see, I'm watching, see, this is what happened. I'm watching the Holy Spirit transform her. This is not a New Year's resolution. This is not rehabilitation. This is not turning over a new leaf. This is the Holy Spirit changes people. And you start wanting what is holy. That's why we say, even so, come Lord Jesus. I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you because he's holy. He's giving you that hunger for the things that are holy. Isn't that weird? Isn't that interesting? I mean, who would have ever thunk it about you? Look at your neighbor and tell him, not me. I want to say one quick thing about this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I believe it's referring to people who are convicted of sin and never repent. They turn the dealings of the Holy Spirit away, and they're never saved. I don't think—I've had people come up to me and say, Pastor Jeff, I just know I've committed the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I said, really? What'd you do? Oh, I can't tell you. It's horrible. It's horrible. Well, you know what? Are you concerned that you did that? Yes, I'm so concerned. I just know I'm going to hell. I say, if you're concerned, you didn't do it. 
It has to do with never getting saved. He who turns away the dealings of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to notice he's not only the Spirit and the Holy Spirit, but he is called God's good Spirit. Your Spirit is good, said the psalmist. What do we always say? God is good. Uh, This only makes sense because this also is said of God himself. Jesus said, there is none good but one. That is God. Can you say with me, God is good? Well, if God is good and God is a spirit, then God's spirit is good. God's spirit doesn't do bad things to people. God's spirit is good. He's a good spirit. He's the spirit. He's the Holy Spirit. And he's a good spirit. And God wants us to know that about him. So he named himself the good spirit. Amen. And it is said of the operations of the Holy Spirit that the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of His presence, is in all what? Goodness and righteousness and truth. A good Spirit makes you a good person. Amen. He'll change you. Jesus is as much caught as He is taught. Now, He's also called the free Spirit. Because the Spirit of God is an incredible giver, dispensing His favors abundantly as He pleases. It is His special work to deliver God's elect from the bondage of sin and Satan, bringing them into the glorious liberty of God's children. So He gives and gives and gives. This is why Jesus said, freely you have received. Freely. Preach to me, church. Freely give. It's a free spirit. God freely gave to you. He's a free spirit, and he sets you free. How many of you are freer than you ever thought you would be? How many of you can say, when he got a hold of me, I was saved, but I was just like Lazarus, wrapped up in the grave clothes. But as I continued to walk with God, the free spirit set me free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty. He's also called the spirit of Christ because he has been sent by him. Peter preached these words, exalted to the right hand of God, he, Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. When Jesus got to heaven, because he had died for our sins and risen from the dead, God gave him the authority and power to pour out upon his church the Holy Spirit. So when they're gathered there on the day of Pentecost, it was Jesus dispensing the Spirit of God to God's people. That's why it says in Luke, if you ask him, he'll give you a fresh dose of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to say that again. Some of you, some of you may need this. Say, I don't know, you know, I I got the Spirit since I was saved. Yeah, you did. You got the Spirit since you were saved. You wouldn't have been saved without him. But you can get a dose and then another dose and then another dose and then another dose. You can overdose. And you know what? It won't hurt you to overdose on the Holy Spirit. And how how does it happen? It says He'll freely give you the Spirit if you ask Him. Luke 7, Luke 11, 7 through 11. Just read it. He freely gives the Holy Spirit. So that's the Spirit of Christ. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He said, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So so how does the Spirit of God touch us? The Son gives Him to us. 
How much do you have? As much as you want. How many of you filled up your car this week? How many of you put in it put in it just as much gasoline as you wanted? Hey, it's no different. If you want more of God, get up and seek God and you'll get more of God. If you want more of God, ask God for more of God. He'll give you more of God. You have what you want. Praise God. I'm about to preach. Y'all are kind of... Amen, Pastor Jeff. I'm going to get this CD. How many of you want more of the Holy Spirit? Then just ask Him for it. He is called the Spirit of the Lord because He possesses divine authority and requires unhesitating submission from us. Did you know that? If Jesus were right here right now and asked you to do something, would you do it? All right, that's what He's telling us about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inside of us, when He asks us to do something, it's the same as if Jesus were standing here asking us to do something. He has authority. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? The Holy Spirit commands us with authority just like Christ does. Now he's called the eternal spirit. Robert Hawker wrote, among the names and titles by which the Holy Spirit is known in Scripture, that of the eternal spirit is his unique name, accurately defining his nature and and carries with it the most convincing proof of the Godhead. None but the high and holy one inhabiting eternity can be called eternal. He alone who possesses an underived, independent, and necessary self-existence, who was and is and is to come, can be said in exclusion of all other beings to be eternal. Can you wrap your mind around the same spirit that was there when God spoke this whole world into existence is inside of you right now. And next week, here's what we're going to look at, the covenants of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, it's going to change you because you're going to realize He covenanted. He covenanted before the worlds existed to do certain things in you and through you and for you. And once you understand those covenants, it changes you. He's called the paraclete or the comforter. In the, if we were talking Greek, it would be parakletos, parakletos, but paraclete is the transliteration, or the comforter. Paraclete means called alongside. And the word comforter comes from two Latin words, com, C-O-M, which means alongside of, and fortis, which is strength. So the comforter is one who stands alongside of somebody in need, to strengthen them. How did you get through what you got through? The Holy Ghost. How many of you have ever gotten through something you know if He had not been there, you'd have never made it? Amen? Well, that's because Jesus said, I'm sending you a paracleta. Go ahead and give God praise. Amen. Jesus said, I'm sending you another comforter, just like me, if, just as if I were there. And when you're under the gun and under pressure, and don't think you can take another step, he's called alongside you, and he's standing right there, and he lifts your hands and holds up your head. I read this week, David said, my glory and the lifter up of my head. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me. 
I will yet praise him who is the health of my countenance. He puts the gleam in my eye, the smile on my face, the skip in my step. He carries me every step of the way. Amen. He's our comforter. He's our comforter. All right. We're going to close now. Let's stand together, and I'm going to read this to you, and we'll close. <clears throat> Jesus prayed that the Father would give, it to his, or give to His people another comforter, signifying the Spirit would take His place, doing for the disciples what He had done for them while He was with them on the earth. The Spirit of God strengthens in a variety of, way, variety of ways, consoling when cast down, giving grace when weak or timid, and guiding us when we're perplexed. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that before the worlds began, you, Lord, who know all things, had a meeting in your Godhead and the Holy Spirit covenanted to work side by side with the sacrificial blood of Jesus. And where the blood cleanses us from sin, the Spirit rejuvenates us, changes us, regenerates us, and works hand in hand with the blood. And we thank you tonight, Lord, that that good Spirit, that Holy Spirit, the Spirit and the Spirit of liberty is living inside of us. Help us, Lord, to grow increasingly sensitive to walking with Him. And Lord, to obey His initial promptings and to live in peace. We thank You, God, and I pray as a congregation we come to know the Spirit, the fellowship of the Spirit, more than we ever have. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, give the Lord a hand of praise one more time. This is good tonight.